If you believe the Lord is good, can you say an amen? Amen. All right, let's take out that declaration of prayer again. And I want to pray. We always like to take this declaration. This is just to remind those who are maybe joining us remotely. All right, one to let's go. We enter into the presence of the Father, each one as a renewed child of God. We have not come in the power of the good works which we have done. We have come only because of the grace and mercy which we have in Christ Jesus. We thank the Lord for saving us. We thank the Lord for washing us clean. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. We have come to God, the judge of all. We have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. We declare in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen? Amen. I said amen. amen. Now, apart from just reciting this, each line is important. Bear these things in mind anytime you have to pray. And the most important thing for me is the fact that we have not come because of the good works that we have done, but we have come only because of the grace and mercy which we have in Christ Jesus. The Lord is good. All right, the Lord is good. So it's our school of prayer. We come to learn how to pray. And any prayer we pray here is just to set an example for us to follow as in making prayer a regular part of our lives. So as we go into the study of prayer again today, we trust that the Lord will give us insight. Say amen to that. Amen. We trust that he will give us understanding. Amen. We trust that he will teach us that which we did not know before. Amen by making us walk in a manner worthy of him more than ever before. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So when time want to study, we like to declare like this. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, let's take our seats. All right. Can we commence the teaching quickly? We are going to read a number of portions of the scriptures to start. Now we're going to start again from, by reading from the book of Psalm number 51. Now I'm going to read everything that my Bible has there. Introduction to Psalm 51, that is the heading. A contrite sinner's prayer for pardon. For the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. That's the heading of this portion. Now it's interesting that the Bible does not whitewash his saints. Did you hear that? When the divorce was bad, he wrote it for us. One of the ones that God did, which I didn't understand, is how I wrote the story of Jacob complete. Jacob that went to go and look for Harlot and picked his own daughter-in-law, not knowing. Is that a Jacob? Judah, thank you. That's a Jacob. Jacob self is part of it. That's even Jacob self. It's Judah, thank you. Judah is one story. I said, Lord, why did you give us all those gory details? And the people call his their children Judah. Judah means praise, you know. We're analyzing one bad guy's name. 
Give us all the bad things. David's own interesting. A man after God's heart. Then God recorded every bad thing he did for us. And even the psalm of repentance. That's an encouragement for everybody. To let you know no matter where you're coming from. Don't worry. The mercy of God is in abundance. Say amen to that. It's in abundance. It's in abundance. And with that mercy, you are going to fulfill your destiny. Everything that God has planned for you, which you try to scatter early in life, stop on you. But God forgives you in Jesus' name. Your life will still fulfill every bit of that destiny that he created you to fulfill. In the name of Jesus Christ. Some people are looking and saying, for those who need it, they should collect it too. You are the one that needed the most. You that are feeling so, so not needy. I hope you're getting my point. It's very important. All right, so let's read Psalm 51. David said, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Please notice these two verses, or these two statements in verse 6. He said, God desires truth in the innermost being. And that is what Christianity is about. Truth in the innermost being. If you see, when Jesus was instructing us, he placed his emphasis on this. He says that, you've heard, thou shalt not commit murder. He said, but I tell you, in the innermost being, there must be no hatred. Moses could only judge what was outward. But Jesus was judging that which was in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Now, if we are going to achieve that in verse 7, he says, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. That is, the hyssop describes the application of the blood. The blood was applied with hyssop. He said, Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The application of that, of that for us Christians is that we are purified with the blood of Jesus, that's hyssop, and then we are washed with the washing of water by the word. In verse 8 it says, make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a new, a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. 
The thing you require, you desire instead of these physical sacrifices and stuff is verse 17. The real sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let's just read the last two verses. By your favor... Thank you very much. I wasn't asking you to join me. I just wanted to finish it. I said, let's just read the last two verses. Was that not the one reading from the beginning? (laughs) So, were we not us from the beginning? (laughs) I wanted to just stop there. I said, okay, more cuckoo will do the two. Now everybody just carry chorus. (laughs) Anyway, now that you have done it, thank you very much. The Lord is good. All right. <laughs> okay, let me just read another one. Oh, let, I read it all by myself. The one I want to read now, First John chapter 1, let's start with that. In First John chapter 1, he says, to save time, I will... Uh, okay, no, let me read everything. From verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, rather, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his truth is not in us. He said, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, please note that. Then quickly, let me just flip over to chapter... The same first John. I want to flip down to chapter 5. From verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now it now says in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him. That is, because he asked, God will give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. Now, even though I've told you there is a sin leading to death, and there's one not leading to death, note that I'm also saying, verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. That is, even though, all right, all unrighteousness is sin, anything that you do that's not in perfect accordance with the will of God qualifies to be called sin. He said, however, there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, I'm going to talk about all of this today in our prayer basics series. We want to understand some things about prayer, especially when it comes to one of the most important things that prayer is meant for, but which we seem to use it least for. All right? When it comes to personal prayer, we've already explained that one of the major assignments we have as Christians, alive, human beings, is prayer. 
That is, once you bear a title, intercession is your responsibility. I hope you're getting my point. I don't mean when you bear the title president. I mean any way you are described. Father, all right, citizen, employee, employer. That's what I mean. Each one has a responsibility of prayer for whoever you are relating with in that context. But let's talk about personal prayer. I said something last time. Now, let's just remind ourselves, prayer is important. If you are not praying regularly, it's a clear sign, whether you know it or not, that you are trusting in yourself. I hope you're getting my point. See, in life, you have to learn how to interpret signs. Do you hear what I said? You don't live your life by feeling. You must learn how to interpret things. Okay? Don't interpret by how you feel. There's a story I used to illustrate something, all right, which happened to me. I did not know I ever worried. You know, I just felt that I was not a worrying person. I've learned not to worry, you know, that kind of thing. I learned it early. Until one day, I realized I wasn't sleeping. This kept on going for a number of days. And I began to wonder why I was not sleeping. Though this made it clear to me that this is what they call worry. You know, he hit me that I was worried. I'd been worried for some time, and I did not know. But it was called for by everybody wise planning. I was planning. The Holy Spirit said, you are worried. So I used signs, you understand? What did I then know? I was worried because the sign showed. What was it? I was not sleeping. Do you get my point? You don't have to think you are trusting in your flesh. Every man's way is right in his own eyes. If you are not praying, you are trusting in your flesh. You are trusting in your strength. You are trusting in your ability to get things done. Something happened in my house years ago. My wife used to take the kids to school in the morning. And then she's a very dutiful mother. All my children must finish their homework. They must update their notes. Do you understand? If I think it used to annoy me, like, let me just let you know, it used to get on my nerves that they needed to copy notes when I had paid for textbooks. And that was not the major issue. The major issue, they said that the note is not complete. So the child should go and copy. So I said, okay, why not just photocopy for the child? Why not just print for the child? They said, no, the child should copy by himself. I said, why? Is writing it helping him understand anything? No. Absolutely not. It doesn't. And they just be copying. Now, that's not, you've not seen anything yet. Though. The one I couldn't get was that it doesn't matter because the mother could help him copy. They will still mark it. Even though the handwriting is clearly not his own. Now, for your information, copying notes don't help you understand anything. It's a useless assignment. It's a way to fry your brain in 2023. You want to pretend like it's the, it's the, year, it's the year 1855. Now they print things. Why do people feel like I said they don't want to leave the bad things behind? Nonsense. <laughs> if you've ever been in my class, I teach medical students. Rule number one, you don't write when I'm talking. I have kicked students out of my class, not once, not twice. I have seized people's notes and refused to return them. People's parents have had to come and see me personally to retrieve their children's notebooks. Was only offense, they wrote while I was speaking. Why? Of course, I said, when you are copying, you're not decoding. Of course, you are not decoding. So I tell them, if you, want, if you need to write, 
You will put up your hand, request permission. Then I will pause while you write that stuff down. The one I couldn't understand. Now, now I'll get back to my message. When I was in university. If a lecturer that dictates notes, I don't come to your class. When I was in university, you dictate notes, I'm not coming to your class. I just stay, I just stay, I stay in my hostel. Who is it? So so and so person. <laughs> Nobody knows they dictate. I'm not going. What's if I find a textbook you are making your note from? I go and get the book and read it. Your job is to explain. I always tell students, hey, listen, there's nothing I'm teaching you that's novel. Everything is in a textbook. Yes, you are, you are an undergraduate student. So I'm here to explain it. That's an aside. Some of you are teachers. I just want to correct your backward behavior. <laughs> so what if I want to do? Uh, you, when, like when I finish talking, then you can put a line down. But as I'm talking, like I say, I'm, look, what are you, a reporter? <laughs> to make it worse, you don't even know shorthand. Stenographers, they learn shorthand so they can put down everything you are saying. Students waste time writing. Anyway, let me go on with my message. So those days, that's why my message are long. Too much is in between. So those days, my wife, she would make sure the children, they would do their homework, which is very important. I've read many reports. Children doing their homework is correlated very strongly with how well they perform in school. So if your children make sure they do their homework and make sure they do it themselves. Don't let them copy and paste from the internet. Let them do research. If they are, if they are supposed to research something, make sure they do their homework. So my wife would do all of that. So in the morning when they are going to school, she's checking the last Notes that are not complete, homeworks are not done. And we're talking about quite a number of children, I believe, in the large family. It's not even large enough yet, but what can we do? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so that's it. Then one thing will happen, we're supposed to pray in the morning. Then you know what they will do? By that time, they're late. I was rushing to the car, and they said, Don't worry, let's go, let's go. We'll pray in the car. That used to happen once in a while. Then one day, I called everybody, sit down. Henceforth, prayer will be the first thing in the day. You will rush the assignment. You will rush dressing up. You will rush having a bath. But this prayer, we will not rush it. You can only do one thing before prayer in the morning, which is either you have a bath or you eat breakfast. And the reason behind that is just to get you a week. I don't want you to get up from the bed, straight to the prayer, and then you continue to sleep. I don't want that. If you go and have a bath, of course, because there are more children than there are bathrooms. Do you get my point? So they just share them, say, okay, those who are going to have their bath, are going to have their bath first, while the others are eating their breakfast. So when you come for prayer, some have eaten, some have bathed. <laughs> so I said to them, so this is the time. And what was my logic? I said, why do we rush prayer time? But we don't think we should rush assignments. We don't think we should rush dressing up. I said, it is better you didn't iron your shirt, but you prayed. That's what I'm going to say. If it's okay with you to keep on rushing prayer, it's a sign that you don't really expect help from God. Now, remember I said, learn to interpret what? Signs. Once I corrected some people, I said, you, people, you are not good, that is... There's no word of thanksgiving from your mouth. Every time I hear grumbling, he say, God knows I'm grateful. I say, he doesn't. 
You are not grateful. He said, in my heart, I said, it's not there. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Every time you wake up in the morning, you tell me everything Buhari has done wrong. Buhari being our current head of state, who has more, one more week to use that title? Is he, is he up to one week? Oh, today is what? 23rd. Okay, he has six more days. Six, five and a half because you, in the morning. After, in six days, he's ex-president. You wake up every day telling me what he has done, what he hasn't done. Next day, you start, you insult the man, insult the president, complain about what the institution is not. I said, you are not grateful. He said, God knows I'm grateful. I said, he does not. The sign that you're not grateful is that you're full of murmuring. If you are grateful, we hear it. Mike Murdoch used to say, if your friends don't know your obsession, you don't have one. Anything that consumes you, people around you should know. If they don't know, don't worry, you don't have. You're just self-deceived. Learn to interpret signs. If you only pray in a hurry, you don't take time out. That is, you just, you see, just wake up at night and go and pray. Just close your office for one day. Why? I want to pray. You know, some of us don't know you can refuse to go for a wedding or a funeral. See, let me tell you, in every wedding, there are only few people that, that must be there. Hmm? Number one, bride. Two, groom. Okay, let's just say one, bride and groom. Okay? Then, no, no, no. That one is far behind. Next, the father of the bride. Because somebody has to give this black guy the wife. And it could be a white guy too, anyway. That's the order. So, bride and groom, they must be there. Then the father of the bride. Then two witnesses. Yeah, there has to be two witnesses. And then the officiating minister is far down the line. I hope you know officiating minister is not important in the wedding. Many people don't even know that. He has no role. Spiritually. <laughs> huh? Is that what? what does that, those are, that's, that's, just, that's, that's modern culture. It's just culture. It's not important. People don't know these things. Though. <laughs> ah, are you guys actually serious? You do not know this. <laughs> See, okay, who joined? Um, let, no, it's a simple question. Who joined um, Rebecca to Isaac? Good. Was there any, any officiating anybody? That is clear. Hmm? Bride, groom, the person who will give out. That's it. But there has to be witnesses. Officiating minister is, is, a, is, a, is the MC. At the end of the day, of course, he pronounces a blessing. So the whole thing, who gives? He's just a coordinator, which can be anybody. Some people don't believe this. That's why you go to registry. The fellow there, is an is a civil servant. Yet that wedding is is valid. Why? Once you put your signature to that paper, that's it. But spiritually, we know somebody has to give in marriage. Please let me not start teaching on marriage now. I'm not saying pastors are not good though; it's good, but just don't think they are not critical to the real marriage. But to the Christian ceremony, you know ceremony. Okay, okay, let me ask you. 
wedding gown? Is it critical to wedding? You know, you know when I wedded? If you don't buy a wedding gown, you're not married. I, I took my wife and called them because I saw the cost. You know, I, I'm like, couldn't you have sold this and helped to the poor? You know, this kind of thing. <laughs> that, you know. <laughs> no, I'm not exaggerating. My wife's wedding gown cost more than a whole month's salary for me. I'm not joking. Almost a, a month and a half. The cost of our wedding gown. I didn't pay for it. Trust me, I don't pay for such things. <laughs> For <laughs> so I looked at the other. I said, "Why don't you people just go and hire this thing?" Hey, the girls wanted to stone me, stone him, blasphemer. <laughs> ah. I was looking at them. Well, I kept quiet. Now, does anybody make wedding girls again? My wife, in I think our tenth anniversary, she brought her wedding gown and redesigned it and wore it for our 10th anniversary. It was in the closet there. I said, would you leave for your daughter to wear years later? And the daughter would look at it and say, oh. <laughs> this kind of old school thing with this one. No, I thought it was a waste of um, Anyway, that was proven to be right. Now everybody has brought on wise. The Lord is good. Why, why, why did I start talking about wedding? Okay, yes, good. So when you tell people they can miss a wedding because of they, are, they, they need to pray, they really don't think so. You can miss a funeral because you have to go for a retreat. Serious. I've, I've had people die around me recently. Their own children did not even come. They excuse, they are abroad. I said, oh, you think you don't know no good is abroad for me too? I don't they mark all of them one by one. You bring one ceremony, I just look for, me, me, me and Israel will just organize one crusade. All of it. In fact, I just carry four people in kingdom. When I come here, what? Just put all of you there. I want to share something. Why? I'm preaching. I can't come. If you can't travel from abroad, why should I leave my preaching? And what I'm going to say is that some things are very important in life. We must take time out. Sometimes for these spiritual activities, you will sacrifice some of these social events. That's why I went into all of that marriage thing that I got carried away by it. You sacrifice some of these social events. It's a sign that you really. You are trusting in God. That you are trusting in his help. I said, interpret signs. If you are not praying, it's a sign you are not trusting in God's help. If you are not prioritizing, that's why I told the story of my household, in which you rush out in the morning, then that prayer has become root. It has just become a habit. It doesn't have life in it. If you had life, you wouldn't treat it like that. You wouldn't treat it like that. It's the reason why I just told everybody, please, eh, what we are doing is not good. Let us pray first. Let us pray first. They will rush other things. Let's pray first. We rush the food. Let's pray first. We rush dressing up. Let's pray first. When I was in school, those days, some people, when they exam time, they don't come to Bible study again. They don't come to fellowship. To me, it's a sign that you are trusting in the arm of flesh. So I need all the time to read. You're not serious. Just prune other things. Prune gisting. Prune football. Prune social media. When exams are approaching, offload many of those things from your phone. Then you have time because how many hours do you spend in church? You tell me that because you have exams, you cannot come to come and hear the word. You don't know God helps people. These are the signs I say you must learn to interpret. 
if you are not praying, is a sign that you are not trusting in the, you are not expecting the help of God. See, I've noticed that God is very faithful. We are the ones that have a fault. We don't pray sincerely a lot of times. We don't pray sincerely. If we pray sincerely and in faith, you'll be amazed at what God will do. We were talking about last time, I talked, not this last time, one of the last two meetings now, that's two meetings ago, I talked about how to wipe out doubt because doubt, it kills the power of God. So you have to hold on to faith. If you pray and hold faith, God is faithful. And hold on to faith, God is very faithful. So it's important. Now, so many things people have as a problem in life is because they really have not taken it, have not handled it properly in prayer. It's very important we get this point. Now, the one we are talking about today, which is why we read the Psalm 51, I began the last time, towards the end of last um, time's message on this um, prayer basics series, is one of the most important things we are supposed to do with personal prayer. I like one thing David said to us in Psalm 51 there. He said that God desires what truth in the innermost being. You know, on Saturday we explained something about reward. The Bible says that by faith we understand. The Bible says that he that comes to God must believe that he is. And what? The rewarder. Okay, good. Of those who seek him. Or King James says diligently. Now, one of the things you must understand, what do you call reward? Alright? Now, bear this in mind. What really are you seeking in life? I want to explain that. Christians, what really are you seeking in life? Because I explained then that reward is not what many of us think it is. This is a wrong reward, our mindset now. That if I give money, God will give me more money. That's a worldly mindset. Which crept into the church. The church taught it a lot, but I prayed that one day we'll get rid of that nonsense. Okay? Now, the simple reward there, which is really correct, okay, is that he that is faithful in little will be given the opportunity to be faithful in much. But like we said, he gave the servants ten minas. He said, do business with this until I come. When they came, he said, look, well done, good and faithful servant. So the one that said his mina has made ten more, remember what, what did that one say to the master? Your mina has made what? Ten more. So it was his, the master's mina. It was never his own. It was committed into his hand. The master now said, well done. Be in charge of what? Ten cities. So from the beginning, he never had anything till the end. First, the master gave him be in charge of this mina. At the end, he was put in charge of ten cities. So the only reward you get really for faithfulness is a higher opportunity to be faithful. That's all. So we won't talk about rewarding that. But what is the real personal gain? That's where I'm going. What is the real personal gain? The real personal gain that Hebrews was talking about, the highest reward you can have is to see the face of the Lord clearly. It's for God to reveal himself to you. That is what you should be seeking in life. See, every other thing is, all material things are very, very ephemeral. They are temporary. They are but smoke, literally. And one day, they are going to vanish. They are literally empty. They are not worth seeking. Do you get my point? They are given to us to serve certain functions at certain times in life. They are given to us to test us and also to show, we use them to prove our faithfulness. We use them to express some things that are inside our hearts. Please bear this in mind. 
Now, the highest reward, therefore, like I was saying, is that Jesus said that they may know you. He said this is eternal life. What he wanted to give was the knowledge of God, that they may know you. This is eternal life. Was it Philip or Andrew who said to him, show us the Father? It's Philip. What did he say? And it to do what? He said to satisfy us. So that will be sufficient for us. He had taught them certain things. He said, show us the Father, and that will satisfy us. Moses, let me see your glory. Paul, that I may know him. I hope you're getting my point. So in life, everything that comes physically around your way must, you know, must work towards that goal. They are meant to be used to produce eternal things. Please, you'll see where I'm going in a moment. Now, why do we want to know God? You know, John says something. He said, one day we are going to see him. And then, he said, we'll see him just as he is, and then we'll be like him. I said it before. What God wanted in the garden, why he used to come in the cool of the day to come and speak with Adam, was not just to kill his own boredom. It was that the whole aim of that creation was that God will be reproduced in Adam. And the process is through interaction with the spirit. I hope you're getting my point. There's a law in life. You're always born an infant. And you grow into maturity. It's a law. Even spiritually. So if you are born of God, you're a baby of God, then you grow into what is called sonship. I hope you're getting my point. Yeah, it's a process. Sonship is not something you get because of relationship. It's something you attain through experience, through training, through trial, through gazing on the Lord. You develop into sonship. Now, so, you please, I'm trying to get something here to see what, by personal prayer, why it's very important. So, what God is actually trying to get out of our lives is the reproduction of the image of Jesus Christ. Please, I hope you're getting me. The most important thing that God is doing in you and in me is to reproduce himself in us. That is the most important thing. See, let me tell you something. Paul said that I buffet my body. I keep my body under. Why? He said, lest after I have preached to many, I myself will be cast away. That is the most important thing for me, Banky. I'm talking about me now, all right? Bank Evolution. In this life, it's not all these messages I'm preaching. The most important thing is that I personally attain to the, a particular level that God ordained, the fullness of Christ Jesus. Because you can preach and preach, archive 10,000 messages, write 50 books, I mean, by yourself, hundreds of sermons, tracts, and all of that. At the end of the day, Paul said you can still be a castaway. So to God, it is a good thing. If one year I say, God, I'm not preaching this year. Let me go and hear the word for a whole year and pray for a whole year and cleanse all. And I'll, I'll, I'll just beg in Lord. Just, I'm not abandoning my call. But you know the primary call. I need to attend to it. So that's why ministry can itself be a problem. You know, <laughs> because of certain resources we acquired recently. Over the last few days, I gathered a lot of materials. And yesterday afternoon, as I was shutting my computer, I looked at it. I shook my head. I said, how are the mighty falling? <laughs> what do I mean? I told myself, no, this mighty, you must rise again. Because 
I gathered a lot of books, all right, PDF copies, all right, they were free online. Downloaded a lot of messages, audios and videos. And I said, man of God, when will you have time for this? And I felt bad. Because I remember where I came from. There was no ministry at that time. There was no wife. So there was no children. There was no serious work, no heavy responsibility. I was working as a resident doctor quite all right. I was reading, but I wasn't in charge of anything. Nobody was calling me. There were no phones, okay, so nobody could even call me. None of my phone just be buzzing every time. Hey, okay, what about, you know? So those days, my father in heaven. If I can say humbly, I don't know what I can, but I read, I studied. Ah, <laughs> one of my colleagues, she's a professor in, in, in Unilag now. She said, Kai Banke, it looked like he just dropped you from a Bible school. Everything you said, I had the scripture to answer you. There was nothing else I was doing before that time. Just do the chopping wall morning, afternoon, and night. So when I got these materials recently, I said, no, 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 I'm going to make time. And all these books, I must read. All these messages, I must listen to. And I, just, I don't mean when I'm just driving. I should wake up in the morning and just stand and listen to a word for 45 minutes, one hour, one hour, 30 minutes. You know why? To God, that is more important than I'm preaching. I hope you're getting my point. You see, there are two sides to this life. Oh. The most important one, you know, people tell me, what's your calling? You call someone and I say, what is your calling? Let me test somebody. Who will I test now? Let me test you. What's your calling? I just want to know. Uh, eh? <laughs> you smoke something. There's a big Christian. You're already a Christian. What is your aim? Look at this guy. Now, one will say a lot of times, this is where I'm going. One will say calling a lot of times. What you mean is, are you an apostle? Are you an evangelist? Are you a prophet? Are you a pastor? Are you a teacher? Are you in the ministry of helps? Are you in governments? You know, all of this, listen to the Bible. But you know the truth? The Bible, I think, used in New Testament, that thing was used, uh, the calling was used to describe that, maybe only once or twice. Can't even remember very short now. Okay? You hardly hear the Bible, you call that one calling. What it, now, first, what's the meaning of the word calling? The meaning of the word calling. It means what you have been invited to attain. Are you getting my point? What you have been summoned to come and do. That's what I mean by calling. Many are called. That's what they mean. Like come and become something. So what you have been called, invited, I don't use the word called now. What you have been invited, someone to become, to come and become. I hope you get my point. To enter the process of becoming. Now many of us look at it as if it's evangelist, it's prophet. No, that's not your calling. All of us have one calling. All have one calling. And what is that calling? Sainthood. To become exactly like Jesus Christ. That's the calling. Every believer, that's your calling. Evangelist is not your calling. It's your assignment in life. It's the gift of God that you are to the body. I hope you're getting my point. That is God. Say, okay, look, this calling, we need help. So, to help people, we'll bring out from amongst them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They will work on the saints to prepare them for the work of ministry. Which again is to produce, no, it's a cycle. They work on other saints again. Perfection must continue. So what is the aim? Till we all attain to the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's where we are heading. Do you get my point? So why are you coming to here? Now listen, that's why if you're a pastor, eh? if you're a preacher, your job is not to go and 
preach and then go and sleep. Let others, let others do what you have preached. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, a husbandman that labors must be what? First partaker. This is what we look at it. If I, if I walk in a, in a field, I must eat from it. You understand? When he was writing to Timothy, that was not what he meant. What he meant is that this word you are preaching, your life must be the first place it will produce. And produce is not money produce. It's like if you preach on patience, pastor, be an example of patience. And it doesn't mean that you're going to force yourself to be patient. No. It's the word till it produces what? Patience in you. Sometimes I tell my wife, I said, listen, this is not fair. I said, what? You know, because I really don't like listening to myself. I don't know. I, if you put a message, that, some of my wife is playing my message in the house. I beg her to put it off. It's embarrassing. I don't know. I, I don't know. Occasionally, I've seen messages that I preach and it really bless me and I can listen to it. But most times, I can't stand it playing. If you see me playing my own messages, I'm trying to get something. Maybe I preached a series five years ago. And don't think I know everything I preach. And I don't even think I do. Most of the th- a lot of the things, let me say most, a lot of the things I preach, I don't even know I preach them. I, I like the way we do in Kingdom World Ministries, in which our messages are, you know, because they are digital these days, so they are digitally, you know, recorded, and then they are processed. So before it's released, it's given to me to go through it again. And I check some things, verify some things, and then sometimes I say that, look, this is not necessary. Maybe we're just listening in-house. This is going to be listened to for the next hundred years. So this in-house, this is not necessary. I remove all of those things. So we process like that, a few stages before it's now. That's why messages are not released as soon as we are done, except we go out for seminars. That one, as soon as we are done, we release them as much as possible. But the in-house one, no. Sometimes they won't take down messages. I say take down from the social media platform, Facebook, YouTube, and all of that. Why? Some things I said, I want to take them out of record. So I just call it, please take it down. They take it down, all right? Then we reprocess them, re-upload. Now, that is a time I actually get to listen to myself. I thank God for that. So there are things I listen to, I say, I tell my wife, ah, wow, that was the word. You know, that kind of thing. So that's why I tell her sometimes, I say, this is not really fair. People like you will sit down and listen to me. When do I get to listen to myself? So when, when I catch ministers I can listen to, I'm really very grateful. I feel my head, my heart, my spirit with your messages. Because this preaching is not the work. The real work is the personal transformation. So that's why I can be preaching. People are getting blessed. They are pleasing God. I'm displeasing God. Meanwhile, they are pleasing God through the things I'm saying. And it's, and it's spiritual order. There's not even there's nothing you can do about it. It's just spiritual order. So you have to take heed to yourself. That's why Paul wrote to the, the elders, the pastors actually in Ephesus. He said, take heed to yourselves. And then to the church. Many pastors only take heed to the church. They don't take heed to themselves. Because Jesus said, do as I, do as they, he said, you see the Pharisees, they sit in the seat of Moses. What does that tell you? They have authority to say the things they are saying. He said, they are in the seat of Moses. Why? They are giving you the law of Moses. Jesus said, do as they say. But terribly, he said, not as they do. Now, even though he gave that instruction, it was an indictment on the Pharisees. It was not a good rule for life. It was an indictment. Paul said, in my case, it will not be like that. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. That was Paul's boldness. He said, you saw in our lives, you saw perseverance, you saw faith. Paul made it, look, for him, the primary thing that this word must bear fruit in my life. Some people say, don't preach what you are not practicing. That is not scriptural. Whether you are practicing or not, if the Holy Spirit comes on you, don't quench the spirit. But after you have preached it, go and hear it again until you practice it too. 
There are things I finished preaching. And I'll tell my wife, my life has changed. Because of the message I preached. Why? Not because I have, I have now preached. No, I have now heard that, wow, this is how it's supposed to be. Those days, my wife would tell me, say, ha, my husband, that these things, you don't, that used to teach me a lot those days, though. These days, things don't spoil. You know, life can change. Those days, I, I, pre, I, I preached to my wife until she confessed that nobody had ever taught her that much in her life and was only been married for a year. It wasn't love, it was pressure. Nowhere else to preach now. I preach, I, I preach, that is, I, oh my God, I preach, eh? But of course, as ministry, of course, life was growing, she was working, children were coming, ministry was growing, so the pressure to preach to her now has now reduced. Those days, sit down here. I want to tell you something. What is it? Philippians chapter 2. <laughs> The Lord is good. So she said to me, said, look, these things you don't teach me. I said, look at the one you preach doing now. I don't know it too. I said, okay, you don't understand. Me too, I did not know it. You think it's just you, both of us. As you were hearing it, I was hearing it. There are scriptures I open. As I begin to read, I read the first line. I know what the next line will be. The next line suddenly opens. When I get up, I start explaining. You see, you think, ah, pastor came prepared. Lie, lie. They woke me up from sleep to come and preach. I've gone to meetings before like that. They enter church like this. I don't know. The sleep will just come from somewhere. Where did I go recently? It was not in Ugo here. I traveled. I enter church like this. My father. Sleep. It's the kind of sleep. It was like jet lag. I didn't travel abroad. Though. Just in Nigeria here. The kind of sleep I could not control. And they put me high up. They know those high up. Everybody looking at you. <laughs> And the sleep was coming like, once, ah, you know, that kind of thing, just like this, asleep. They think you're in the spirit. You're not in the spirit. You're asleep. <laughs> that was terrible. I'm telling you. So by the time they finally get there to come and preach, people think that, ah, he's coming. From, I'm not coming from the spirit. <laughs> there was one place I went recently. That was more funny. As soon as I got there, you're welcome, sir. Welcome, sir. Anything you need, I said, nah, you get meat pie and cook. <laughs> they were surprised. I said, I need to eat something. I, I said, get me something to eat. Because I traveled. The day before, I did not, uh, I didn't, maybe I didn't eat well. Woke up early in the morning, we traveled, reached where we were going. I said, come and preach. I entered church. I said, no, I'm not starting with preaching. They didn't know. I said, sir, is there anything you need? They said, to ask for a bottle of water. I asked the guy, I said, nah, nah, get snacks. Get, get, get me a meat pie and a cook. I think I was joking. I entered the pastor's office, sat down, they closed the door. I ate well, drank it, drank water, relaxed. When I came, I thought you were coming from the spirit. I'm coming from the restaurant. <laughs> what happened? So, but when I started preaching, you think I prepared some of those things? I didn't. You read verse 1, verse 2, before you even read it, eh? Before I read verse 2, verse 2 just opens and opens the whole chapter. And I get stopped there. Next 45 minutes, I'm explaining something that I never thought before all my life. It happens. The day I wrote the chapter, I don't know whether it's in that book, The Curse of Eve. I said I would develop it. I was on a plane. My wife and I traveling from one city to another, not in Nigeria. You know, something just hit me. I brought up my device, started writing, Curse of Eve. I saw everything Eve did wrong. And I saw where it was going to lead Eve to. 
I still have to, I have to do women's seminar. Woman that I'll lose. <laughs> Where am I going with all of these things? So, if you're a preacher, that's what I'm saying, okay? Those of us who are preachers, bear it in mind. You open your mouth to you preach powerfully. It doesn't mean you know anything. It only means you are anointed. Sometimes I hear something like I say, I tell my wife, Kai, I'm anointed. Now, I don't mean that as bragging. People, if you don't understand, you heard me say it, you think that this man is, is puffed up. No, it's actually the opposite. And what I'm saying is that, baby, that was not me. That was the spirit of God. Don't be carried away. That wasn't me. That was the spirit of God. So that is why it's so important that I take heed to myself also. Because all of this thing is just work. You can feel like this. You can say, carry on. Throw him for that side. Stupid boy. Paul said it. I can labor like this. I didn't become cast away. He said, for that reason, what do I do? I put my body under. What does it mean? Please, I feel like talking to preachers. What does it mean to put your body under? Hey, plenty things. This, see, this thing is mahogany, all right? Very powerful. Very powerful. Very powerful. Now, of course, I'm just using it to describe what a pulpit is. A pulpit is extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. Kings respect it. it. A lot of things we preachers do and get away. And every citizen can't try them. And for that reason, you have to treat it with all fear and reverence. Filter what you say from here with the fear of God. If you're a preacher, a number of rules. The fundamental one, don't turn your stones to bread. Never use this place for your own advantage. Don't even use it to grow your church. In quote. What you call your church. Make sure everything you say is pure, is true. And is never said for a personal motive. For personal gain. What are you going to gain from it? Never. Say it even if you are not doing it. It's interesting. This one I know to be true. See, like, let's assume that I, before I, I leave my house, you understand, I'm, I fight my wife, we blow each other because I'm bigger, I injured her, she threw the knife, I dodged it, and I left, I came to church. If I want to be punished by God, this is what I will do. Today's message is rebellious wives. <laughs> Just know that you are sinning. All right? But don't also hold back from sin. Love your wives as Christ loved the church just because you are not doing it. Do you get what I'm trying to say? When it gets to that point, just get there. If you know how people should love their wives, even though you are not doing it, bros, preach it. So people say that, hey, these pastors are hypocrites. No, they are doing their work. It's not hypocrisy. To preach what I have not yet practiced, it's not hypocrisy. It's only if it's scripture. It's not hypocrisy. It is failure. Let me just put it like that. <laughs> On my part. I've heard, there's this nonsense that goes around these days. Say, who are you to judge? Please don't fall for that rubbish. You are supposed to judge in that regard. When Jesus said, judge not, he was, you know, people just twisting because it's the same word. Judge not means do not pass punitive judgment. Doesn't mean don't criticize what is wrong. After all, the whole Bible is a book of such judgments. What are you saying? The poor not say that I hear that there are divisions amongst you. Say, don't criticize. 
No, that's not true. Okay? So please, say, ah, why, why? somebody told me that the, the, the Catholic Church should stop, should not tell people how to live their lives. She should not tell them about God. I said, I look at it again like, are you alright? The church cannot tell you how to live your life, but they will tell you about God. What about God? One thing is like, this judging thing, they're not creators, they, they, they turn into, people are not, you hear people say, no, I'm not judging you, I'm not judging you, I just want to know what's going on, I'm not judging you. I saw videos like that. Father is talking, a mother is talking to the child. He said, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. No, if you're gay, I'm not judging you. I, I'm judging you. <laughs> I'm going to judge you. I will judge you. Because if I don't judge you, you will be judged by God. That you know, I have a responsibility to judge you. In that regard, I, mean, I won't. I won't pronounce God will kill you. May you die. I won't say that. All my enemies die by fire. That's what they call judging. Because you are an enemy now, you must die by fire. What is judging? This is my boy. He said, I will not progress. In the name of Jesus, you will never see progress too. That's what they say. Don't judge. So you will not be judged. Because the opposite of showing mercy. I hope you're getting my point. <laughs> so please, if you're a pastor, preach the whole truth. Don't be ashamed. It's, look, you know the truth? If the pastor does not preach the truth, the, world has, the church has no hope. If the church has no hope, the, church, the world has no hope. That's why I'm so happy for the Catholic Church. Last week, and the Pope, I know under duress. <laughs> I know. That man did that in under duress. He finally signed it. He pronounced it. That the church will never sanction same-sex marriage. Ever. Because they, I like the way, that's my, is the reason they give that excited me. They say it's against the order of God. Thank God the Anglican church, they have different, they are not one body nationwide, worldwide. Otherwise, I would have done like that to them. Hmm. But the Nigerian one, they are the Ubuntarigis of the international Anglicanism. No, God put them there. They stood. Thank God for the days of primate Akinola. The reprint said, thank God for the African bishops. When the matter came up, he heard it later. He said, thank God for the African bishops. As a man who never used to show much, when he's preaching, the worst you see him do is like this. He will lean and turn his hand this way. That one, he punched the air. He said, thank God for the African bishops. The church has to continue to speak the truth. Otherwise, that is, the pastors, the preachers must continue to speak the truth so that the church can speak the truth so that the world will have hope. They are confused. They don't have direction. You must give them direction. You must give them direction. You must give them direction. So, I'm talking about the pulpit. So, if you're a pastor, preach the whole counsel of God. When Paul was going to speak, he said, I did not withhold from you, but I declared to you the whole counsel of God. Everything. I have not held anything back that I knew. I told you everything that I know. Everything the Holy Spirit put on my mouth, I told you. And if you're a preacher, as you are telling everybody, be listening to yourself. That is, as you are speaking it, be noting it. And go around looking to learn the word too. Anytime a, a minister says something, maybe a pastor I've not heard before. Speaks better word. I look for his other messages, and I keep chopping, chopping because I've said it. 
this thing is not about her. You know, people have said things like that before. You know, <laughs> they say, these this pastors, like, Kai. somebody actually said this. It's, quite, it's a lot of nonsense, but they said it. He said that, he was telling church people, that people like Pastor Yadiboye, their own, he's a redeemed pastor talking this, all right? And I felt, I, 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 don't, I don't know him personally, but maybe Apostle knows him, and call him to stop saying such things. He's trying to encourage everybody, see people like Pastor Yadiboye, you can see where they have gone with God. Where, where are you? You better, you know. I said this one doesn't. Whoever says that doesn't know anything. You, you don't. You don't know anything. I said the reward in heaven is sure. I said which reward? Re, Paul plants. Apollos waters. Then what? God gives the increase. You don't even know who Paul is or who Apollos is. Just say the current day administrator. He said ah, this one a big man. Nobody knows who is big anything. So I say, Pastor Banky, I listen to 5,000 hours of your messages. We can reach heaven. They say, I should clean your shoes. He said, but when we were on earth, you used to preach so much. I said, now we're there here. Now may I clean your shoes before they punish me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you see this ministry thing, eh? It's an assignment. Just do it. The real judgment. Back to the thing. The main calling is Christ-likeness. That's the primary calling. It's Christ. So, no matter what I preach, no matter how much people are blessed. Do you know, people, there's, there are some guys who laid hands. Miracles happen. They give out our cause. Hundreds give their lives to Christ. Thousands over time give their lives to Christ under their ministry. When Jesus came back, they were joking about, you don't come. Jesus said, who are you? Have we met before? He said, ah, I prophesied in your name now. I did great works in your name. A lot of miracles in your name. Eh. Turn to Michael. Do we know this guy? Michael said, No. Gabriel ah, said, uh, We know him. Say, eh, how come? He's a thief. <laughs> Jesus said, Yes. Do I have iniquity? Gabriel said, Yes, sir. Oh, I never knew you. Well, how, God, you can't say like that. My church was 10,000 members. Live stream, 10 million. He turned to Gabriel again. Say who? Say that guy is a thief. Every time he, we, we used to put it, you know, said the Holy Spirit is using him a lot, Sha. Let's be honest. Well, anytime the Holy Spirit finishes using him, immediately, quickly take an offering. Connect the whole thing. Say, if God has spoken to you today, you will say, God, my account, what am I doing with money there? Bring it. The man will collect everything. Was a thief. There are many people in ministry, eh? Jesus said, this one is a thief. And I'm going to deal with him one day. True. True. That's why Paul said, he told the, told the church in Ephesus, the elders, said, take heed to yourselves. See, all this one of doing ministry, morning, afternoon, and night, take heed to yourselves. All this one of doing big man. They, you know, modern day Nigeria, pastor and a big man, no? Ah, you know now. Pastor is a big man. Some people have been called to ministry only for that reason. They look at short call to big manism. Political appointment, I not get. Election, I not win. Money, I not get. Now go collect it. Where do I get it from? The easiest one. Just go, you know, just go for one Bible school. At the end of the day, they give you a certificate that you came. You decide by yourself, it's ordination. You yourself tied to pastor. 
And I go in there. <laughs> so, you know, some actually put it on their car. Pastor. I stop them at checkpoint. Wind down. I'm Reverend. It's Nigeria. You can't say that in Iran. <laughs> in Nigeria, you know, it's a, it's a blessed title. You know, people, you know, it's glorious. People, they make people dicking. <laughs> Should I tell you something to make you laugh? I've told you before, but I'd like to say it again. There's some people I know. I won't mention their name. You may know them too. Time, they were time they were they were the pastor in charge of coordinating ordination. When it's time to make deacon, if you're getting free recharge card, <laughs> offering will increase. Ah, man of God, don't forget me. So I just passed the Lord lady open my heart to just give it, just give an envelope. Why? You find time to deacon. So people are <laughs> so people that Jesus will say, I never knew you. <laughs> when they now finally ordain them deacon, they will not do party. You kill cow because of deacon. Instead of you to be crying over your sins, praying that God, because now, you know, he said before, when you tell one lie, you get this dose of judgment. Now every lie is double judgment. That's what James said. And you are celebrating now, I'm going to be punished more than before. Who does that? <laughs> Truth is that it's nothing to celebrate, it's something to be afraid of, something to send into intense prayer. You don't have to be shouting for just because Nigeria, you know, is, is, is glamorous now. It's glorious. When you say it's a pastor, ah. So many people are not born again and they're carrying that title. Even those who are born again, many of them don't realize that the title does not mean anything. It's your personal work with God that matters. Preach all the messages. Those who have preached, they will get to heaven before you. You are preaching to those who are preaching to. If they obey those words, they will get to help in quotes now. Before you. Because it's not the one that preaches. It's the one that does the word that is blessed. That's what is called the doer of the word. Please, I hope you're getting the point. All right, I'm making all these things. So let's bear these things in mind. No, we're talking about prayer. Okay? And I've not lost track concerning the prayer thing that we're discussing. So now if we know all of these things, that it's our personal work that matters. It is the transformation in our hearts into Christ-likeness that's most important. Therefore, what should be our primary focus when we are praying for ourselves in prayer? That's what I'm saying. What should be our primary focus? That should be our primary focus. It should be engineered towards that end. Now, we read from um, Psalm 51, and I've thought about this again and again. We should never forget it. How do we perfect holiness? Paul says, seeing that we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now let me start by, or continue by using the, um, by explaining the word fear again. The truth is that people don't have enough fear of God and they should. Why they don't have enough fear of God is that they misunderstand him. There are many sides to the Lord. You focus on only one side to your own peril. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a kind God. But don't ever forget, he's also a just God and righteous God. The meaning of the word righteous is simple. If he sees evil, he will fight it. 
If he sees good, he will elevate it. That's the meaning of the word righteous. That if somebody keeps evil in his heart and continues, God doesn't care about relationships. He will punish the person and that severely. Please, I will say this categorically. It's a satanic doctrine that tries to downplay that. The Bible has more to say about the fear of God than the love of God. It does. Both in the Old and the New Testament. It is not an Old Testament thing. People said that in the Old Testament they feared God, we love God. Anybody says that, they didn't read the Bible. They loved God in the Old Testament. In fact, the commandment was there all the time to love God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Is that not the word love? David will talk about how I love you. It's there all over scriptures. The love for God is not new. It's not peculiar to the New Testament. And the fear of God did not end in the Old Testament. Paul talked about cleansing ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. People said fear is not fear. It means reverence. It's not true. He said, let the Lord be your dread. That's not reverence. It's dread. Something to be afraid of. Please, you see where I'm going. One reason why people don't take this kind of prayer seriously is that they just assume that sin has no consequences. And I want to tell you today, it is not true. The mercy of God, the favor of God, the grace of God does not mean sin has no consequences at all. In fact, if we go by the life of Moses, to whom much is given? Yes. Jesus actually, the Father actually, expects much more from us than he did from the, with David. And that's why you know, people who don't know the, the Bible enough, they reference Old Testament a lot to justify some things. Not knowing that the Bible says clearly, in the time of ignorance, God winked on some things. So David was always marrying wives. God didn't say anything. God never approved of it. You must understand something. Read your Bible. That thing never blessed David. It was a problem for David. It never blessed him. The major problem in Abraham's life was Hagar. It has never been a blessed thing. So, but when God gives more light, more revelation to people, he expects more from them. And expecting more from them means he disciplines them when they don't give him that more Severely. I hope you're getting my point. Because there's this thing, it's, it's there. You know, we preach the mercy. I actually heard one preacher. I quote the man once in a while, but you hardly hear my, his name on my lips. He has a set of messages I really love. I quote it once in a while, but I stopped mentioning. In fact, I mentioned his name some years ago. One brother now says, ah, ah Pastor Banky, you listen to this man. I heard you talk about him. I said that was then. Do you know he was relieved? He said, I heard you quote him. I said, bros, you won't hear it in recent times. It was when I first got into his messages. I listened to his series. Blessed me tremendously. Incidentally, I listened to it till now. Occasionally, I picked that set. And I'm blessed. But beyond that, I, I can't stand what he says. What am I talking about? He says categorically, God never punishes Christians for anything. In fact, God doesn't punish anything. 
And actually, it's those who don't understand God that says he does. They call it grace. They pick one particular scripture, and it's the only one they have that God said, I will never rebuke you. I, I said, in my mind, then something must be out of order, because you see him rebuke everywhere. So we must be interpreting that thing out of context. The Bible would not say, if we don't judge ourselves, we'll be judged by God. And why is he judging us like that? He says, so that we will not be condemned with the world. Those who say that God can never condemn someone is not true. Because if it was so, why is he taking the measures to ensure we are not condemned with the world? If it was, in practice, if it was impossible. You see where I'm going? I want to help people understand that sin has consequences. Because if they don't understand it, the prayer is never effective. Because I'm talking about confession of sin now. And eradicating, in fact, I'm talking about purity, personal purification through confession of sin. It's an important form of prayer. People often miss. This particular scripture, we should, let's just read it quickly. Hebrews. We're talking about Jesus Christ. Let me just quickly open it. All right. Hebrews chapter 5. Now, there's a verse I want to go to, but let me start from verse 1, then I rush till I get to that verse, which is verse 7. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He now said in verse 5, it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever, after the, he said, according to the order of Melchizedek. He said, In the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus Christ, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And it was heard because he, please, I need to give you that one in King James. It was heard because he what? He feared. This version uses the word piety, but literal Greek there is that he was heard because he feared. Some use the word he was heard because of his reverential fear. Which verse is that? Seven, right? Yes. Some said he was heard because of his reverence toward God, his godly fear, his piety, and that he shrank from the horrors of separation from the bright presence of the Father. That's amplification there by the Amplified Bible. All right? That's a classic version. Different Bibles use different expressions. But the simple Greek is that he feared. And I need to explain the meaning of that fear. Now notice something. He said he offered up prayers and supplication with what? Loud cries and tears. It's important. Why did he do that? I'll tell you. He understood the consequence or the consequences of any form of disobedience that would have been found in him. Let's talk about this. One of the hardest things for, now as a human being I've seen it. As employers, Anybody doing business or trying to do anything. In fact, whether you're doing business or not, right now, I need even staff in my house. Hard to find. I'm able to just do things for me at home. I was, I was driving out this afternoon. I looked at the front of my house. I said, Kai, this place needs to be cleaned again. Will I give my children this work? They don't have the time right now. Will I give myself this work? I don't have the time right now. So I need somebody that will be doing You know, I'm going to say something here. 
You always need somebody to do something. And if you just ask employers, it's hard to find people. They keep on saying in Nigeria there are no jobs. I hope nothing is a lie. Right now in Nigeria there are more jobs than there are people. And I say maybe the job is not well paid. It's not true. Go to the banks. They are looking for staff. Can I even assure you hospitals are looking for staff? Ah, ask them. Banks will advertise we need 10 people. 20 will apply. They interview them. 19 are not employable. I will sit there for a moment. People are so unemployable. See, President Buhari said, lazy youth. The man was prophesying. People did not know. It was a prophetic word. He gave a warning. People are so lazy. Lazy. You know, the other day, you, 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 you called me about that stuff, remember? You said, the person, how much uh, would they pay? You know, what did I tell you? I said, tell him to forget it. I'm not willing to talk to somebody who they said there's a job. You didn't even come and see the job. To even say, what kind of job? First question you ask, how much would they pay? I said, you, tell him the job is no longer available. I said, tell him to get away. You've not even seen it. You have not even heard. You've not even come there to say, this is what the job is. The first question you ask me is, what is the pay like? I told him, tell the guy, I'm not going to interested in the employee. You should go away. Neither I. You will never do anything well like that. Never. Because there are places you will go to in your life. When you see the exposure they will give you, you would rather pay them to let you stay there. You've not even gotten there. The first question you're asking is, uh, uh, how much would they pay? And you remember the reply I gave you? I said, tell him we're not interested in employing him. I did, I've never met a guy. All he just did was ask a question. And I said, this is a stupid question. I like one thing. One big woman... Chairman of First Bank said some time ago. She said that all these young graduates are talking that just driving me around. The, what you will learn, that is, you know, as a driver, you're just driving. You're not supposed to talk. Oh. And you say, ah, Oga, what do you think about this country? They, they, <laughs> they should sack you there. You know, like they just they park, park, come down. They say, ah, madam, welcome. I didn't see a Dangote refinery commissioning. <laughs> they just say, park, come down, go I mean, just, good morning, ma. Take her bag. Put it down. Sit down. Where are we going, ma? I said, okay, do this. Okay, ma. And then, the woman just drive me around. And from what she was saying, essentially, you drive another for a few years, you'll be a millionaire. That's a privilege to sit in. Then she was not even chairperson of yeah, First Bank at that time. After making that statement, she became chairperson of First Bank. So the person says, say, say, you know, don't ever tell you, say, you're too big for something. Many times you're just closing doors you don't know. The woman said that all these young, young graduates running up and down. Come and drive my car. How can I drive a car? Be, grad- eh? be, be graduating up and down. <laughs> graduating up and down. Yeah. The person you are talking to, do you know the kind? I mean, she became champ person of um, First Bank shortly after. So the kind of people they give front seats or at the second row seat at commissioning of Dangote Refinery. Because that front, that front row is heavy. You know, my head does say food there. At least second row, you go sit down. You know what that means? That you will hear things. You will, you will, you know, <laughs> let, let's go sit down there. Let, look, I've left my message. Let me get back to my message. I don't want to lose track. Finding people is extremely hard. That's what I'm making. Very hard. Very hard. Very hard. For God to find an Abraham. Don't you know you have a Bible that talks about Abraham? It was when we were studying Genesis, then I understood. The whole of the book of Genesis was written by Abraham. The story of creation. Hmm? That whole story. 
was heading towards one man, Abraham. If you even see David Paulson analyze the, 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 the spread of the stories in, the, in Genesis, you will see that Genesis chapter 1 is the longest period in the whole Bible, but just one verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We don't know how long that is. 10,000 years, 100,000 years, 1 million, we don't know. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. We don't know how long this was. We couldn't count it the days. Days were not being counted until a few verses down the line. Because there was no sun. It was afterwards he made the sun to give us times and seasons. You see where I'm going? Then he slowed down a bit. Gave us seasons of creation. Then I'm like, he's spreading things out. It's like the next thing. You hear the story of Adam. Adam and the children, and Adam and Eve, their children, Cain killed Abel, and then they kept expanding. The story was rushing down quickly until it got to Abraham, and then it slowed down very well. Not a man left here. He went here. The story of one man took chapters upon Nobody else had that length before then. Chapters upon chapters upon chapters. And we saw they found that everything was just rushing to Abraham. Now, listen to this. That does not prove that was the only person God called. He said, what's the word of scripture? Many are called. Many are called. Then few are chosen. Abraham, one that was chosen. That's how come we have his story. And See, you must understand something about the Bible. Do you know the coming of Jesus Christ was almost truncated? Except that somebody rescued the little boy Josiah. The line of David will have gone. That's why I began this show. People are hard to find. To find an Abraham, they are uncommon. Many people, in fact, I, I'm thinking of writing something about it. Because a lot of young people, they've abandoned their faith after university. But I went to university when most of us stayed on campus. And the campus Christian community was usually quite closely knit. You know, we had fellowship together in, the, in church and then went lived in the same hostels, read in the same libraries, you know, you know share things. So the, 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 the communion was quite strong. Understand? But then when people left, people started dive, you know, they entered the world. Now, usually it's money. Look, God has only one contender for the faith of believers in this life. Mama. I want to tell Christians, young Christians, old Christians, because they're still repentance of the old ones. Say, it is he that endures to the end. Don't ever forget that thing. The Lord is looking for those that will endure till the end. And every day, there are opportunities to not endure to the end. Keep on escaping. People are leaving the faith. Now, they may still go to church, but the core of faith, they abandon it. Where am I going? Remember we talked about it before. If Abraham, you know, Abraham became very wealthy. You know that. Enough to muster hundreds of fighters from amongst his workers alone. He became very rich. Isaac became very wealthy too along the line. But let's see to Abraham. Abraham was very well to do. So God blessed him like he promised. And God gave him Isaac like he promised. But do you know if Abraham had not sacrificed Isaac, that whole project would have failed. The Bible says that it came about that God tested Abraham. If Abraham had failed that test, I want to tell you something, you probably would never 
have heard of the story of Abraham in your Bible. Even though he had Isaac, even though his wife gave birth in her old age, something we celebrate till today as a sign of faith. Do you know if he did not give Isaac up when God asked for Isaac, his story will probably not have featured in your Bible, which makes me suspect there was probably one Abraham whose story did not feature. And you never know. And that's just Abraham. Sometimes God starts again. <laughs> there was one revelation um, Dr. Fabio Michel with us. Very powerful. We're talking about nations. I, I understand some things about God and nations. That there's fruit that God is looking for in nations. He waits for a certain number of generations. If he doesn't find it, he wipes everything out and starts again. And that when you see things like World War II, it's because the earth failed. So God had to reset everything. There's a lot of resetting going on. And one thing I pray to God, please, this is my life. No reset. No, God, please, no reset. Don't come and say, look, oh, <laughs> Banky has failed. I can let's try you. No, 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 no. What about go and do your own? Let me do my own. I will endure till the end, no matter what it takes. If he says I'm stripping, he's stripping me of everything, I say, God, take it. Ah, I don't want, look, look, look. We can't, we can't, ah, we can't work all these years and then it's time to sacrifice Isaac. We say we are not doing that's why I teach Christians to sing that song again. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. It's important because one day to test your faith, God will collect the whole world. You must understand that all that Abraham labored for was personified in the man. Isaac, his son. So one day they say, come on, God's not Abraham, come. Sacrifice him. If he did not sacrifice Isaac, that whole project would have failed. That's just Abraham. Now, I believe I've given us a background. Let's not talk about Jesus Christ. Abraham, now small thing, where Jesus did. Let me explain. Abraham could take Hagar, and nothing would happen. Abraham could tell somebody, is my sister, not my wife. Nothing spoiled. We we'll just say, don't do it again. No. He says, sorry, sir, I thought you would kill me. You are going to offer sacrifice. So Abraham was offering sacrifices. Let me tell you the meaning of Abraham's sacrifices. You want to know the meaning? I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Every time you offer the sacrifice, you know what he's saying? I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. So Abraham's case was actually easy. It sound, I, I made it look so hard. You know, but it was easy, actually. Because you could sin, offer a sacrifice. You could get angry, offer a sacrifice. But from the from before creation, let's just use that timing. But okay, to make it easy, let's start from the garden. God gave a word. The seed of the woman will come and bruise your head. Why was Abraham chosen? So that he will, he will activate the coming of that seed. Why was Israel as a whole nation chosen? So that God would purify for himself a people through whom that seed will come. Why was Judah preserved after Israel has sinned against God? So that God would continue to have a lineage from Abraham through, you know, David until the seed will come. Now listen to me. That seed now came. That was a seed that did not have any opportunity to say sorry and offer a sacrifice. He was a sacrifice. Let me explain it. 
If he was the one that said to Melchizedek, eh, to Abimelech, it's not my wife, it's my sister. The sacrifice is no longer without blemish. I hope you're getting my point. If it was one that took Hagar, alright, because he couldn't wait for the promise of God, the sacrifice was no longer without blemish. This lamb had to be spotless, sinless. Are you, I hope you're getting my point. And most importantly, he understood it. So every little thing that looked like attempted pollution was fought tooth and toenail. I don't know whether you are getting my point. I'm explaining when, when he said he was ahead because he feared. I don't believe, from my understanding of scripture, that the fear was that I don't want the father to be separated. No. You, know what, you want to know the real fear? Is that the plan of all ages, the eternal plan of God rests on me alone. Oh, please. I hope. You don't get that sense of responsibility. That the eternal plan of God rests on me alone. And there is no opportunity for repentance. The rest of us who can make a mistake, we offer a sacrifice. But I am the sacrifice. And I cannot, you know, even declare, every high priest then, will first offer a sacrifice for his own sin. And then offer a sacrifice for the people. This one didn't have the opportunity to offer any sacrifice for himself. Because the only way his sacrifice will be acceptable for every other person is that he doesn't need it. That's what they call fear. That is what they call fear. That is what they call fear. (laughs) Oh God. When you realize that literally everything on the earth and in the universe rested on your shoulders. And let me explain something to you. Satan is, you know, Satan was, lock, was up and down, locking here and there. Are you not hungry? And the Son of God now, just turn stones to bread. See, Satan is very, is very, very smart. You know, all those movies we were making about Jesus Christ were idiotic movies. Satan wouldn't even tempt Jesus Christ with stupid things. Small, small things. Women and all that. Did you hear that? He tempted him with. That temptation is too tiny. Why? It would have been too obviously iniquitous. When he wanted to tempt Jesus Christ, it was with things that had to do with his love for people. Show them you are the one that has the power. They will follow you. They will make you king. Then you can just decree righteousness. Just jump down. Show the power. Huh? Okay. You came to redeem people, Abby. Hey, let me give them to you. Then you do anything you like. Just bow down. And worship him. When they wanted to take him out of ministry, they came and said, Ah, you know, honor your father and your mother. Say so. You don't have your father now again. Mm-hmm. Who are you supposed to honor? Your mother. Your mother is outside waiting for you. <laughs> they came to take him out of that is the temptation was subtle. Finally, they said, Ah, whoa, this one is not working. They jumped into Peter. Dedicated, devoted Peter. And what did Peter say? Nothing bad will happen to you. If you had agreed with Peter, that was a sin. Are you getting what I mean when I say he feared? That's what I wanted to explain. So how did he respond to fear? The Bible says it was with what? Loud cries 
and tears. Loud cries and tears. The reason why Christians don't handle sin well is they don't understand the consequences. They don't understand that it shortens their destiny. That you can never be a hundredfold producer if there's iniquity of any shred in your life. They don't get it. They don't get it that Satan doesn't have the kind of power they think he has. He can't stop your death. There's nothing they can do. One million Satans. Eh? One million. Okay, sorry. One million is not a good number. One hundred billion cannot stop him from going home. I'm not talking about killing you. A hundred billion Satans, devils, cannot say, Bank, you are not going home. Just to go home. Just to drive my car and go home and see the road and drive. They can't stop. They can't do it. Can't. And he knows. That is why he tempts. Where I'm going is that Christians, they need to get that point. That the only power this devil has is sin. He doesn't have any other power. He does not have any. If he is ancestral curses, I've said it before, ancestral curses cannot even come into your life except there's ancestral misbehavior, even if you're an unbeliever. When I see churches and they want to break ancestral curses, I say, Where? Are you okay? He doesn't work like that. The praise of this world is coming. But he has what? Nothing in me. That is the issue. It's whether he has something or he doesn't have something. The reason we resist sin, Christians, is because we know it has consequences. It has consequences. It just changes your destiny. It tells you you will not become the person that God ordained you to be. It's not about praying. Pray for now to declare from now to tomorrow. There's a reason why people bear fruit. Yes, some bear 30-fold, some bear 60-fold, and some bear 100-fold. There are many reasons. Why was Saul's kingdom, why did it not endure iniquity? Why did David, you know, you know what we were saying at the beginning? You know Judah? Judah prays. That guy's life was not good. You know, some of those patriarchs really bad in the Bible. You don't want to live like them. You know, God used to use people. So many people he used there, their own personal experiences were not good. This is how Judas' children were just dying on him one after the other. That's iniquity in the family. Look at his brother David. All of us, almost everybody that, that we don't born boy, don't born David. If you get the generation when we're having children, David's everywhere. My friend. Had two his first two boys, one David, one Daniel. My first two boys, one David, one Daniel. That's what they dropped David, David, David. Man after God. That's what we're seeing. But later I can't read. Say, this David said, Why did I use your name? Because I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking at you now, begin to wonder. Because some of these, this bro did that. Apart from what he did, say, what he experienced. This was a man of war. He couldn't sleep in peace at home. Yeah. David's household was tumultuous. The household of David. Turmoil. Turmoil. His children were rotten. He, if you read the story of David, you know, mercy. Eh? Go look for the most abundant mercy you could find to find him Solomon. And Solomon said, it's not too balanced. Now, why would you look? You see, go and look at David's life. This fellow, you know, David was not as happy 
as I am today. And that's not a joke. He wasn't as happy as I am today. He was not a happy man. David, he wasn't. David did not even understand. You know, he never, all his life, he never understood the love of a woman. He didn't understand it. He didn't know what he felt like. He didn't know it. Why? Too early in life, he learned bad habits. First six sons, born by six different women. Your head is not on your, on your shoulders. See, let me explain what I'm saying. For you to have six sons, you probably had 12 children. Yeah. Ah, not everybody, they born for Israel. <laughs> for you to have six sons, in all probability, you had 12 children, thereabout. So by the time a man's first six sons were born by six different women, I suspect at least, let's be conservative, nine to 12 women were born in children, side by side. Because I won't say anything. But watch it. You will suffer the consequences. Rivalry, jealousy, hatred, ambition, all kinds of things. David never... <laughs> Look, my wife and I slept on the same bed almost every day for 23 years. David doesn't know the meaning of that. He said, Banky, are you serious? I said, yes. Eh? You try, oh. So is she the only woman in Enugu? <laughs> I said, David, warn yourself. <laughs> no, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. That guy was just a he goat. You know, you know what happened? Sorry, David, sorry. I'm very sorry. You know, but what happened? They knew the kind of... Lord, I'm sorry. You know, but you know what I'm trying to say. You know, when he was old, they said... Find him another one. They said, Abishag, lie down here. Just lie down here. Say, this is what the God needs. This is his medicine. You know, you know where Solomon learned the bad habit from? David, I know that single iniquity was what broke Israel into two nations. That was what Jesus feared concerning. Let me tell you, Christians, we are not immune to the judgments on iniquity. We are not immune to the consequences of sin. And it's because people don't understand. They think that, please let me explain something to you. There are things that God wants to bless on this earth. And what is he doing? He's purifying vessels through whom he will do them. That is what fear is. You know, see, there are two sides. There's, there's a fear in which somebody says it's not possible. It is possible. But first, God doesn't reject a believer entirely, you know, unable to return to repentance for every sin. He's not. There are different kinds of sins. We know that in scripture. There, is, there, there are sins to death and sin not unto death. There are other categories. There is a sin against the Holy Spirit. There are different categories. There are. Sins are not the same weight. The Bible said there are weightier matters of the law. They are not all the same weight. But John said all unrighteousness is what? Sin. Even though they don't have the same weight, they all have their weights. I hope you get my point. There is a sin that's light. It has weight. So John said... What you do 
is when you observe it in the life of somebody you love, your brother, your sister, pray about it. For your sake, God will give the person life. Now you say, what kind of sin is that? For, let me just rush through that briefly because we're going to close now. What kind of sin is that? It's sin that the fellow is doing in ignorance. A lot of things we do, like one brother told me here one day, he said, this is a year saying, we did not do them. Not because we're wicked, but because we did not know. I hope you're getting my point. So sins done in ignorance is called sin not unto death. If you persist after you have been corrected, no prayer works against it anymore. You have to personally come to the point of repentance and have your sins forgiven you. Because, you see, if, look, that's what the Bible says, we read from John, if we confess our sins, that is, God is saying, hmm, once I bring it to your knowledge, there are times you don't know. But let me say this again. You know or you don't know, disobedience is never blessed. I begin my point. For example, David did not know this polygamy thing maybe was bad. But was he blessed for it? He wasn't. But he wasn't punished, except he did something else, like take Uriah's wife. I hope you're getting my point. Except he did something else like taking Uriah's wife. He was not punished. But there was no blessing. Do you, do you get my point? Alright? So, when you now, when God brings light to a place, once light shines upon it, if you continue in it, now there is what the Bible calls a just recompense of reward for disobedience. There will be punishment, there will be consequences. Let me stop here, but let me say this first of all. The consequences are not always nice. Paul said, talking about division of the body of Christ, he said, for this reason, many are weak amongst you, and many do what? Sleep. That was the reason that premature death is a consequence of dividing the body of Christ. Not rightfully discerning the body. And it was writing to Christians. I hope you're getting my point here. What am I saying? One thing we do with sin. Alright? There are two sides to it. One, the one we have committed and God has brought to light, we have to fight to collect our forgiveness. And there is no forgiveness except there is repentance and forsaking. Do you hear what I said? Once you go back, just know you have reactivated all the forgiveness. All the, the judgment. Forgiveness is enforced through persistent repentance. It's only when sin has been forsaken that forgiveness is in the bag. I hope you're getting my point. However, forsaking sin is not even within your power. Okay? There was one strong guy. His name was Peter. Very strong. So Jesus came and said, Piro, all of you are going to forsake me. He said to the disciples, all of you are going to run away and forsake me. Peter said, hey, 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 wait. John, I have never trusted. I know. He's a small boy. He does all these kind of things. I, I, I understand. He's a small boy. All right, but as for, as for, as for <laughs> you know, uh, Matthew, his task collecting ways, I'm not sure they have left him. Judah is a thief. I know he's going to forsake you. <laughs> so, but me? Never. Okay, I don't catch shark before. How can I forsake you? When will try me, I know what I do the will. How can I forsake you? Just say there's no problem. Small girl like this. Now I go make you deny me. That is, small child, you will deny me. Just watch it. Just watch out for the cock crew. You deny me three times. By the time it takes with cock to crow twice. Rapid result denial. 
You know all that Jesus was saying to him? You cannot stand by your own strength. That's why he said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. So when you have a sin, like Paul was explaining to us, he said, lay aside every weight, that's one, and sin that does, does easily beset. That is, you are going, it just, it trips you over. It is never within your power to stop them. Now back to where we now began from. That is why we pray. That is why we do what? We pray. That is why we pray. The last temptation that Jesus had was when it was time to go to the cross. How did he handle the people of God? He went to the garden and he prayed until God gave him the strength to stand that cross. You cannot, no matter how trivial or how huge it might be, Let's come to the trivial side. No matter how small you think it is, it is not within your power. So how do you handle it? He said, like Jesus Christ, in the days of his flesh, he offered up what? Prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because he feared. I think I have taught you enough fear this evening for you to know that no form of iniquity should be allowed to stay in your life. If there's correction, eh, grab every bit of correction you can find quickly. It's saving lives. I mean, it saves lives. Correction on anything, hold it. No matter how small, hold it. The Holy Spirit will breathe upon it. Hold it. Your friend will tell you, hold it. He that is often rebuked or reproved, but hardens his heart. What did the Bible say? Say that will be destroyed and what? Without remedy. No solution. That, that a Christian doesn't immune you from that. Being a Christian does not immune you from what I've just said here. You want to save your life? You have to cleanse yourself of all defilement of flesh and spirit. And perfect holiness in the fear of God. We're talking about prayer. Jesus therefore said, like he said, forgive us what? Our trespasses. Can we begin to pray? I want us to pray. Five minutes. What is the purpose? It is to continually cleanse ourselves. Maybe next time, if I may get back to it, to try and explain the difference between, you know, sins that have been committed and then working to prevent sins that are easily beset. Oh, we need to pray. Say, Lord, cleanse me of all. It's important. The one you know you confess. What does confess? No, it's not great things. Everything. What does confession mean? Just acknowledge your iniquity. Oh, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. Because you have to save yourself. Deliver yourself. <laughs> That's, that is a powerful prayer that is often neglected. Everybody's forcing, give me, give me. No. What about the defilement of flesh and spirit? How is it removed? How is it removed? Like we said last time, our lives are supposed to manifest the word of God. Everything the Lord says that you are not walking in is called sin. Every single thing. If your holiness is not pure, that is what he calls sin. That is taking to God in prayer. If they say men ought always to pray and not faint, but you are always fainting and not praying, that's also sin. You take it to God in prayer, help me, help my unbelief. If they say, first of all, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, should be made for all men, for kings and those who are in authority. But what are you doing? 
You are bringing accusations and grumbling for kings and, <laughs> and the whole nation. It's called iniquity. You are living below the standard of God's moral duty. What is sin? Everything, anything that we do that is inferior to God's plan, God's commandment, God's ordained level or standard for our lives. That's what sin is. Sin is not just breaking of the Ten Commandments. No. What is a sin? Refusal to rejoice is a sin. He said rejoice with those that rejoice. If you, if you are angry, when people are rejoicing, it's also a sin. <laughs> he said love your wife as Christ loved the church. If you are loving your wife as Satan does the church, that's a sin. You're an accuser, always tempting her. He said be subject to your own husbands, and you are not. It's a sin now. Obey your parents in the Lord. You are not following that. It's a sin. Honor your, your father and your mother that they may be well with you. It's a sin. Who is it that loves long life? That he may see length of days, see good in his days. Keep your mouth from speaking evil. You are speaking evil. What is that? That is a sin. It's like a madman that casts arrows and fires arrows and dead. So is the one who deceives his neighbor and says, Was I not joking? That's a sin. There's what the Bible calls coarse jesting. Isn't it your mouth? That is a sin. Every one of, no matter how trivial, they cut off destiny. So God takes it one by one, correcting us, rebuking us, reproving us, changing us. So that we may be perfect. He said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How do you attain it every time the word of God comes to you? And you find yourself inferior in that area. You take it to God in prayer. And acknowledge your iniquity. People of God, take a few minutes today and pray this all-powerful prayer. It's very merciful. I should never forget that. What you cannot take is stubbornness. Refusal to acknowledge. Because once you acknowledge, grace is made available. Oh, somebody's destiny will not be hindered. See, all those they call enemy of destiny. People are, nobody outside can hold your destiny. Only sin in your heart. Remember, sin is not just you went and did this one. No. In fact, Kenegan said the Lord told him, I will judge my people quicker on sins of the heart, sins of attitude, than sins of the flesh. What did he mean by sins of the heart? Attitudes. Refusal to forgive. Refusal to walk in love. Not wishing other ministers well, other Christians well. Holding grudges in your heart. Worrying. A heart that does not fully respect the word of God. Sins of the heart. God said, that is more grievous in my sight. And that's why Jesus said, you heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, there are things you do in your heart. But you have not done them outwardly. But they are sin in my eyes. You've heard it said, you should not commit murder. He said, but look in your heart. Hatred is where it begins. And I desire truth in the innermost being. Say to the Lord, purify me with his soap. The blood of Jesus purifies me from all iniquity. The blood of Jesus. What John was saying is as we confess our sins. Confession of sin, be honest, is a daily thing. It doesn't mean you are walking in sin consciousness. But it means you are pursuing perfection. It doesn't mean you are walking in sin consciousness. It means you are pursuing perfection. 
We said last time that prayer is activated by the word. When the word comes to you, it shows you where you are deficient. That's what he calls sin. How do you remove it? Take it to God in prayer. And say, Lord, have mercy on me. As you interact with the word, it shows you where you are deficient. That's a preoccupation you must have. To cure your deficiencies. As the word comes to you, say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Give the Lord thanks this evening. Say, Lord, thank you. For showing me mercy. Say, Lord, thank you. For forgiving me of my sins. Say, Lord, thank you. Praise the Lord. It's well with you in the name of Jesus. As we depart from here, goodness will go with you. Favor will go with you. No evil will befall you. And no plague will come near your dwelling place. The Lord will spare you from all troubles. In the name of Jesus Christ. Every plan of the devil is frustrated in your life in Jesus' name. Goodness and mercy will follow you. All the days of your life. Now let's share the grace of fellowship, kingdom, world style. One to let's go. Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil. Because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, quickly bless three people around you. Say to them, this is your season. This is your season of the Spirit and of the power of God. Two to go. This is your season of the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. The last one. This is your season of the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, what about yourself? This is my season of the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Alright, cherub brethren. God bless you.